0: Imagine if you had all the customers you could ever dream of, for your product or your service. You know, for most of us, we think about those products and services the most, but there's an underlying assumption there. There's something that we're not saying to ourselves, but that we're actually kind of believing. And that is, if we make this product or service, the customers will show up. Now, the reality is for most of us, that's not the case. There have been businesses throughout history that have had that kind of success. But for most of us, we need to find a different path, but there is a path. There's a way that we can build and make sales a key strategic force for our business. And if we do that, it can unlock incredible success for us and our lives. And that's why I am so excited to have Roy Osling here today to talk a little bit more about that. He's a former president, CMO, and entrepreneur with over 40 years of experience. He is the author of the audacious, unheard of ways that I took a startup to a billion dollars in sale. And today, he is going to share with us the secrets to how he made sales a strategic force in the businesses that he ran. Roy, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for uh, asking me on. I appreciate it.
0: Well, let's dive right into it. I want to understand, what are these secrets? What are the ways that you were able to build a billion dollars in sales?
1: Well, look, it, it all starts with uh, with with charting a path that people can believe in. Okay, uh, a path that's practical and simple resonates with people, and and basically lights their fires. And so, when I was asked to take over this this startup organization in the early stages, when the internet was just uh, was just on the cusp, um, it occurred to me that we we really needed a different approach to to planning, a, a planning approach that was more focused on execution then it was focused on the pristineness and theoretical mm. you know pristineness of of the plan because look at I got to tell you there's way too much of that stuff going on these days <laughs> and so I I I had to build my own process um yeah. and it, it's a real I call it my strategic game plan can do it relatively quickly and uh we can dive into that if you want yeah. but I had to do that, that once process? I did it yeah so so it's a it's a process that that fundamentally allows you to create Uh, a just about right strategy, because there's no such thing as perfection. Mm -hmm. Like, how can you have a perfect plan, Mike, in an imperfect world? (laughs) I mean, I could look at, I just figured that out really, really early. So I created a process that says, all right, I got three questions to ask. And the answers to the three questions will actually decide on and declare the strategy for the organization. And the first question is all around growth. And it's like, how big do you want to be? And so what that says is you need to declare your top line revenue objectives over the next 24 months. This is not a five year plan because the fourth and fifth year never show up, okay? They just don't. Um, and so the other thing is it gives you an excuse to put things off today for year four and say, well, if I don't get it done today, I'll get it done in year four. That takes your eye off execution. So the 24 month lens, okay, is is absolutely essential. In mm-hmm. terms of growth. And so we we, de- we declare that. The second thing says, where are you going to get the money? That's who you're going to serve. Now, this is all about describing and defining customer segments that have the latent potential to deliver your growth targets in revenue. Um, okay. And so spend a lot of time on, on that. You try and come up with a, as few as you can. And the reason for that is you have a 24-month plan. You can't have a a 12-month selling cycle on any client, right? So you got to minimize the number of customer segments so you can get to them what I call fast and easy. Mm. 24 months requires you to get rocking as quickly as you can and get the run rate on revenues up. Third question is how are you going to compete and win? Now, this is a question about in the customer segments that you've decided to serve, there are competitors. How are you going to beat them? How are you going to win in those segments? This isn't a statement about the market. It's a statement about those customers that you're focusing on. Right. Mm. And this is a really interesting one because it's all about differentiation. And, and my conclusion has always been that businesses generally do a very poor job of differentiating themselves yeah. from their competitors. Okay. Cause it's all about what I call the use of claptrap aspirational statements. Like we're, we're the best. We're number one, we're the market leader. Those are nonsensical statements, Mike. They mean nothing to customers who have in their mind the question, who should I buy from in the face of all of those different competitors out there? And so I had to create something called the only statement, right? The only statement says we are the only ones who, and we spent a lot of time doing that, uh, and that's the way to actually create meaningful differentiation out there. And so the answer to those three questions actually create a journey map for you. okay, And it can be done relatively quickly. Why? Because you need to get going. You can't sit around and pontificate for three months trying to figure out what your plan is. Because when you're doing that, the bad guys out there are nipping at your heels. And to your point earlier, they're grabbing customers that you want. I mean, this business was in a monopoly telephone company when we started out, okay? So I did not have the luxury of a decade to figure out where I had to go. I had to get going quickly, get revenues flowing, leverage the opportunities that I had from being a monopoly in the voice world, which are, I had a lot of customers I wanted to take with me into the data and internet world. And so the planning process that I created was magic because it allowed us to hit the bricks running. Okay, we did not spend a lot of time, and people were looking at me. And go, Roy, aren't you gonna? Are, how are you sure your strategy's right? And I'd say I'm not. <laughs> okay, I'm not. But we're going to get going, and we'll discover it, Mike, en route. And so I'm the I'm the get it just about right. Let's plan on the run. Let's move it and shake it and revise it as we learn more about whether our original definition of the journey was right or not. And for all you entrepreneurs out there, okay, you need to pay attention to this. Okay, this is not about strategic planning 101. This is about execution planning. Mm. And I've written a little bit about it in my ebook called Execute First, Plan Second. And the whole idea there is to get people off the thought process and into the execution process. That's all it is. And so, so if there was one thing that really helped me sort of get the juice is going to get to a billion, it was starting out at the right place, having the right view of how to set in place a direction that is all about execution, right? All about execution and admitting that we're probably not gonna get it right the first time. And we may not get it right the second time, but as long as we keep our ears to the ground and listen to how well we're executing, we will discover right, the end point of the journey eventually and one has to be comfortable doing
0: that yeah that's so good so at a high level you want to understand what your goal is the define your customer segments and then what was the last step again
1: you need to be the only one that does what you do mate that's the differentiation piece that's huge it's not about being better or being best it's about being the only one who does what you do
0: love that find what the only they, you're the only one doing a certain thing so you set that as a strategic goal but then you go act and i've seen that so many times in my own business is that a lot of people people want to theorize and discuss and talk and that's good there's a place for that and you just identify that in your strategy but we need to get out there we need to try we need to fail because it's through that skinning of your knees that you experience what people actually want in the marketplace so now i'm really curious what did that execution look like for you?
1: well what it what it looked like was um having to to basically move out of a culture okay that was was a monopoly that was voice centric that that wasn't marketing oriented it was like we were taking orders we were engineering dominated it was like moving that into a world where customers dominated. Where marketing was was a, a coveted resource and a competency that we need, where customer service, okay, was paramount, where the recognition that if you don't have what I call a gasp worthy customer experience, which is really the loyalty building piece, it's not the product at all. If you didn't have that, then you're not gonna we, we're not gonna uh, sort of get up on the growth curve that we defined. And so we put in place a whole bunch of what I called moves to move away from tradition, okay, to disrupt the momentum we had coming into this in the past and to actually empower people to come with us and help shape the journey, which was huge. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. like in a culture that's really tightly gripped by regulations and unions, okay, the degree of empowerment is simply very, very uh, small in the world we were going into, didn't take me long to figure out where that wasn't going to work, okay? So empowering people to actually help shape the future be, because we we were unable to define it pristinely for the reasons we just discussed. So giving people a meaningful role in that journey was huge because it, what it did is it lit them up. It made them want to do it, right? It was basically saying, okay, Roy trusts me. This is a president of a company, and he's with us all the time because I spent probably 60% of of my personal time in the workplace. I was not one of these dudes that sat in their office and delegated a lot. In fact, I believe in strategic micromanagement, for heaven's sakes. I mean, not delegation to the point of abdication, which, quite frankly, goes on a lot in leadership. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was it just lit them up, and we started. We had no idea, Mike, whether we were going to get a billion. What we knew was... The opportunity was huge if we could get fires lit in the people in the organization and this was a big organization this was a thousands of people this was not a a small little what people would typically think about as a startup it was an early stage data company that we had to drag out of the voice world um, and basically set itself up on put it on a different uh, trajectory and so the focus on execution empowering people Um, I had a mentor who, uh, who was a, who was a, a, he had an MBA, but it was a different MBA. It was a a master, masters in business achievement. So I had a mentor who had done stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't care whether, how many letters he had behind his name didn't matter to me. I needed somebody who could help me through the the messy world of execution, which look at most leaders don't want to get, they don't want to get dirty, Mike. Yeah. well if you want to get to a billion, you need to be dirty. you need to have you need to have dirt in your fingernails. you need to be in the trenches with your people helping them do the job that they know how to do. not sitting up pontificating from high on the theoretical pristineness of the direction that you just set okay And that's absolutely critical.
0: That's fantastic. you know I've seen it before Well leaders will will take that initiative. And they know they need to make a change, and they get involved. And there is such resistance in the organization to that change. And one thing that sometimes people bring up is they say, "Hey, you are micromanaging me now. You are, you are, you are pushing too much on me, right? Like get off of my back. Let just trust me to do my job well." How, how do you break through that uh, to actually get everyone aligned to make this massive change you needed to make?
1: Yeah. So part part of my leadership philosophy is what I call uh, leadership by serving around, which is which is all about how can I help. Mm. It's not about declaration necessarily. It leads with how can I help. The question how can I help though has got an end game. Like it's all, like everything I did, everything I did was driven by the need to grow revenues, everything. So it wasn't just because I had some cool ideas It was, yeah, maybe the ideas resonated with people, but look at the end game to be clear was, was to get people mobilized to drive revenues. So one of the things that I would do is I would spend an awful lot of time in the workplace asking people, how can I help? Just tell me what's going on. How can I help you do the job? You know what to do. I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of the crap. I'm going to get rid of the dumb rules. I'm going to get rid of the grunge for you. Just tell me what you want. Okay. One element. The other element to your point, which really gets at like how do you get rid of dysfunction in an organization? Yeah. Is what I call line of sight. So I believe that leaders have a critical role in defining exactly what the role of everybody in the organization has to be in order to execute the strategy. Now, most leaders don't want to get involved in that because what it involves is translating the strategy for every function and every person in the organization. And it is a colossal piece of work. Oh. Okay, colossal. Like I had thousands of people. I had to make sure that sales knew exactly what they had to do to execute the new strategy and what they had to give up. Okay, because that's a lo- That's a huge piece of work is getting rid of the irrelevant stuff, okay, that people are now doing. It may have been relevant yesterday but today it's not. So let's identify that and delete it. I think deletion is a more significant part of innovation by the way, than adding things. And most people don't see it that way, right? You ask anybody, what's innovation? Well, innovation is creating new products and new markets. And I say, interesting, are you telling me you're gonna do that on top of an organization that's inefficient and ineffective and doing a whole bunch of wrong things? Do you have that many resources and that much money to actually add stuff to an irrelevant base and they go, huh, never really thought about that. So I was all, I was all over that and that came from this line of sight piece. So if you want an organization where you have function and not dysfunction, then leaders need to, to strategically set themselves in a role of translation for the organization and once that's, that's clear and you need to hold people accountable to do that. Once that's clear, then your job is to monitor how well people are actually living right those new roles. And so if that's micromanagement, so be it. But I tell you what, my role was to get as much revenue as I could possibly get, and you don't get that by delegating right strategic purpose to the organization. You need to take what I call fingerprint ownership. You need to be a fingerprint leader, put your fingerprints on the strategy, help people and light their fires to actually start executing on that. And what you find is suddenly people are now going kind of like parallel to one another as opposed to this. It's not their fault when there's dysfunction in an organization. As a leader, it's your fault because what you haven't done is clarified the rules for everybody. And why haven't you done that? Because it's colossal work, right? But you got to get in there. You got to get it done. I got it done. We got a billion. Boom. Problem solved.
0: Hey, it's Mike. Let's beat the banks at their own game. Traditional banks don't have great interest rates, but they charge businesses like Norhart higher rates, and they keep all the profits. Why don't we cut out the middleman and connect directly, thus leaving more for both of us? Invest with us and earn fantastic interest rates. To learn more, visit norhart.com. That's N O R hart.com tcom and click on invest. So if you're looking to grow your returns, then why not join Norhart Invest today and get more than you ever could at a bank. This is an offering by Norhart Invest. Investments can only be made through the Norhart Invest website. For more information, including the offering circular, please visit norhart.com forward slash invest. Ha <laughs> ha, make it sound so simple. I love that though. The, the core idea is there. You just have to execute and deliver on it. Yeah. You know, I want to get down a level deeper now. When you had built out this sales team and had to realign them to helping generate these sales, what tactics, what techniques did you find were successful with those salespeople? What things weren't working? How did you actually make the money come in?
1: So, look at. I'm I'm not a I'm not a believer in flogging products. I've written an awful lot about product floggers. I find them disgusting. Okay, so what it is is you're beating a customer up with the products and services that you want to deliver, all right? So one of the things that you need to do, in my experience at least, was to shift that around and become not supply-driven but being demand-driven. What that means is, in the real-life sense, is you need salespeople who are actually problem-solvers. They're not product floggers. Now, the reason they flog products, Mike, is because we pay them to flog products. I mean, go look at any go look at any sales compensation plan and it's basically based on 12 months of product quotas. Well, you can't ask a salesperson to build long-term sustaining relationships, which by the way are required to get to a billion, if in fact you're paying them on a 12 month quota. So the first thing I did is I changed the sales comp plan. And what I did is I introduced a new component. And the new component was based on customer perception. And it was based on sales behaviors. Well, I got to tell you, they hated it. It was called the customer report card, right? Which basically said, okay, salesperson, um, part of your your bonus for the next 12 months is going to be based on what your customers say about you in terms of how you demonstrate relationship building behaviors. Simple little things like, are you available? Do you actually respond, okay? Do you ask questions about, you know, what 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 their what my business problems are, okay? Everything that you haven't done before, because what you've been doing is trying to flog products, right? So we created this customer report card process, um, which which, as I say, initially sales hated <laughs> because it was so different, right? And I said, all right, here's the way it's going to happen. All right, for the next 12 months, your bonus is going to be based on X percent of the units of products that you sell. So you sell, I'm not going to get rid of that right away, right? But I'm going to introduce this new component. And then over time, I'm going to increase, right, the importance of the customer report card piece relative to product flogging. Mm. And so what happened, of course, was that, uh, as I said, they hated it because it was new, um, but we put in place a process that would allow them to be sex, uh, successful. And what they discovered was um, their revenues, of course, went up because they were asking different questions. They were asking different questions and they were finding that customers were responding and being very loyal to that kind of behavior. And of course, duh, that's exactly what we wanted, right? We wanted to be in a long-term relationship building game, not in the short-term product flogging game so that one particular move in terms of, of adjusting the sales comp plan was huge what, what are some
0: examples of different questions the sales people would start asking now that well, this new incentive
1: one one really important one was what can I do to help hmm. duh not here's the products that I think will benefit you it's what can I do to help it's all it's all it's kind of like my my leadership by serving around process, which is, how can I help? Sales needed to get comfortable with saying, how can I help? And also be able to demonstrate a little bit of expertise in the customer's business. Again, it's demand pull, not product push. Okay. Requires a different set of questions. So, I mean, look at, I just, I just had a look at your annual report, Mr. Customer and Wow, I mean, you really do have an inventory turn problem, don't you? Let's talk about that. Maybe there's a way I can help you. Well, I mean, what customer is going to say no to that sort of interrogation process and that sort of in transaction and engagement process? And so it took a while. I mean, at first, customers were going, what? <laughs> what, what are these guys doing? But the relationship built, it got closer. And the questioning all right, started to t- take on more of a personalized approach, right? Like the questions that I would ask you ended up being different than somebody else. And that was because your business is different. You have different problems and different opportunities. And so that whole ability to to relate on a personal basis uh, went up. And with that came, you know, a, a reduction in customer churn, mm-hmm. uh, an increase in retention and all the stuff that the textbooks talk about, but they never, ever, ever tell you how to do it, which is the process I just gave you. You have to pay them to do it, right? Like there's nobody out there now talking about a customer report card. It's all about market research, right? And it's all about that sort of stuff. It's not behavioral stuff. And yet people buy on behaviors, Mike. They expect the internet service to work. They expect the televisions to work. And I tell you what, when it does, they're not absolutely ecstatic about it. All you're doing is preventing them from leaving when, in fact, you deliver the core service that you promised, 24-7-365. What makes them impressed and what takes their breath away is the stuff that you and I are just talking about. It's how to get people to relate to homo sapiens in a way that nobody else does. So in a in a way, it's kind of like at the behavioral level, um, exhibiting... Um, A behavioral set that only you do and nobody else does, right? To the point of differentiation earlier.
0: In some ways, it goes almost back to being more human and more relational, right? Like being authentic, understanding their issues where they're
1: at and then there to support them rather than push something on them. It's totally relationship. It's totally relationship stuff. I mean, this is not rocket science. I mean, customer experiences. Are you kidding me? You're actually going to get me to believe that artificial intelligence and FAQs are going to give me a better customer experience? You're out of your freaking mind. That's never going to happen. Why? Because when I'm phoning you, when I'm contacting you, I have a question that's unique for me. Mm. Okay, not a million other people, right? The data aggregators, you know what they do, right? So I'm looking at FAQs. And none of them relate because they're not me. Yeah. I'm looking at AI solutions that may relate to the average person. But by the way, Mike, the average person doesn't exist.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So relationships are absolutely key. We need to we need to define them. Leaders need to take a more active role in in painting a picture of what they look like for people. Because you know what well, we're visual. So when somebody shows us how to behave, that makes a big difference, right? It's not taking chapter six out of HR 101. That's not what this is about, right? Let's put the textbook down, right? Let's work together on this kind of stuff and define it um, in a way that excites people to do it. And by the way, recruitment is a huge part in this. Like I I hired for Goosebumps, but that's that's Roy's recruitment um, process. I hired for Goosebumps. Now, what do I mean by that? I had to find a way, my own way, to identify people that were born with the human being lover gene, okay? And why is that important? It's because if you love people, typically you're gonna be good at doing what? Building relationships with others, right? So I think, how am I gonna do this? And I'm sitting and I was actively involved in the recruitment process in my business. Uh, I So we would have panel interviews And I was one of the individuals on the panel for two reasons. First of all, I wanted the the potential candidate to know how important it was, right? You got the president sitting down there involved in interviewing, then the person being interviewed knows, wow, this is pretty important. This guy didn't delegate it to middle management to do. And the middle managers in the room, they got to learn what the right questions were. Yeah. Because I was asking them, right? And they also got to learn how important it was. So this, so this this issue about how can I spot somebody that I think would be terrific at building relationships? So I came up with this process, which I coined hiring for Goosebumps, and it went like this, okay? I would say, so, Mike, you want to work for us. Um, do you like human beings? And you know it's a trick question, right? You just don't know where I'm going with it. And, of course, you would say, well, yes, Roy, of course I like human
0: beings
1: (laughs) and so then the next question goes okay tell me a story mike i want you to tell me a story that would show me oh and and demonstrate for me your love of human beings this is the question that separated the guys that really got it from the people who were playing an academic game with me you see because the people who played the game that they would conjure up this ridiculous and it would leave me cold Okay, it didn't wouldn't resonate with me at all. But the people who actually had the human being lover gene in their body, they would give me a story that was rich and passionate and emotional and powerful. Okay, that displayed for me in real terms, hum, their love of people. And I, you know what? I got goosebumps right now. Just huh. thinking about it that way, I got them. I got I would hire the person that gave me goosebumps and teach them the business because yeah. you can't teach people to like people. You can, yeah. you could, right? You can train them to grin and you can train them to read a script, but you cannot train them to, like, to love people. And so I said, I'm going to hire the ones that give me goosebumps. And I got to tell you, it never failed me. Well, I shouldn't say never. There may, may have been one uh-huh. or two. But the reality was if you gave me goosebumps by your story, I knew that I could turn you loose on my most precious asset called the customer, and you would do the right thing because you were born to do the right thing. It was innate in you. It wasn't contrived. You were born with it. That's fantastic. so there's my there's my new recruitment strategy for you.
0: That's fantastic. And I could not agree with you more. You know, at the core of it, having those people that are just authentically connected, real, top-notch level people, they change the game for you, right? They they make things so much easier because they innately have what you need to make that part of your business successful. Like, that's fantastic. I want to turn the tables down just a little bit, dive a little bit into marketing. How did you see marketing fit into this whole puzzle?
1: Well, I mean, again, the marketing's role, so going back to line of sight, okay. What I said to marketing is I said, okay, we, we need, we, we now need to refocus your efforts. Okay. On, on a set of new requirements. Okay. Those are requirements, um, we're all about the experiential piece. Like most marketing people are product focused. That's why we have product managers. Okay. We don't have experience managers. And I introduced those because I said, look at, I want you to make sure that you can deliver the product according to requirements. That's expected. But in order to create loyalty, you need to do much more marketing people. You need to now start to figure out how to wrap an experience around it. And don't tell me that that's the job of operations. You guys need to architect. it. And so when somebody wants an internet service, right, I want you to help define the, the envelope okay, that we're going to wrap around that and tell me what, from a marketing point of view, are the essential elements that we need, okay, to create in operations to give you that edge, all right, to be the only one that does what you do. So the whole thing was built around being the only ones that you do in a non-product way. Make sure that you get, you you know, we're going to give you the what you need to deliver the product 24-7, 365 seamlessly, And so the team worked with operations and all that stuff was there, but I don't want you to stop there. What I need from you is I need that other envelope that's based on experiential stuff because that's what's going to drive long-term loyalty. And so having them work with sales in the way we just discussed, having them work with operations in the way, having them work with engineering was exceedingly important and it just kind of refocused them. And getting down to a more sort of, they, they used to call it marketing uh, or, or segments of one kind of thing, which is like the ultimate sort of view of personalization and getting them away from mass markets was another huge piece, right? It's not about what market you serve. It's about what person, right, you're trying to to, to target. Not from a point of view of today where we have, you know, the ability to track uh, I mean, every time you go go on the internet and you you search up something, bang, or you get an advertisement. That's that's intrusive to me, and that's not what we were talking about. What we we're talking about then is you need to be relevant. You can't be a pusher. You just need to figure out the engagement process that gets you closer to being nose to nose, okay, with the customer that we're choosing to serve. And, and so over time, it got to be more of kind of what I would say, um, activities that were taking place upstream from somebody buying in marketing to downstream, right? Today, we've got downstream marketing where your behavior, right, essentially puts in motion a personalization machine. What I was talking about is going upstream. Okay, before the person even makes that purchase, marketing has a role, right? to actually get personal, whereas they never saw that as their job before. They thought that was customer service, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, no, it's part of our value proposition. We need to be the only ones doing that. Okay. From a marketing point of view, get personal before they make the sale. Can you help me do that? Tell me what that looks like for you. And so that process was hugely interesting. And i am like, what to think did what, that look like?
0: Hey, it's Mike. Passive income is one of this year's hottest buzzwords, but what is it? Well, passive income is when the elite make money and the rest of us sleep. Here at Norhart, we decided to open up this opportunity to everyone by giving you the chance to invest with us and earn fantastic interest rates without doing a thing. To learn more, visit Norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T. Com and click on invest. So, if you're looking to grow your returns, then why not join Norhart Invest today and see what you can build towards? This is an offering by Norhart Invest. Investments can only be made through the Norhart Invest website. For more information, including the offering circular, please visit norhart.com forward slash invest. With one on the honey, aside, how did you actually make it personal? How did you build that relationship from a marketing perspective?
1: Well, it was like as I said the whole concept was let's let tell me tell me what you think the experience has to look like okay when when people are actually buying okay or wanting to buy a particular product it's so it got close to the sales process but it mm-hmm. but it was a little different because it talked to things like pricing it talked to things like distribution Okay, well, the sales process doesn't talk pricing. In fact, if you ever let a salesperson set prices, you got <laughs> give your head a shake, right? <laughs> That's a marketing function. And it got close to kind of like personal advertising and all those elements of the marketing mix, traditional marketing mix. says, How are you going to make pricing a delightful experience for people? Okay, mm-hmm. well, marketing goes, Roy, I mean, nobody likes to pay. I, yeah, they do. If you're telling me that they're not liking the pricing process, what it's telling me is your marketing strategy is falling short of demonstrating a value proposition that will drive premium prices. I cannot get to a billion without premium prices. Okay, And so that one element was huge in terms of let's start thinking about value packaging, not bundling. Bundling is simply a poor man's way of reducing prices. The more you... Bundle together, the less you pay. That's what the world I was in. It's the more value we create for you, right? The more I've earned the right to charge you a premium price because you will pay it. Why? Because I'm satisfying your cravings, not your needs. And so this whole marketing morphing uh, journey was about getting people to understand that people, customers buy on what they crave, not really what they need. And I want to get into the craving space. So what's a craving? Well, it's what you lust for, what you desire. Yeah, it's not what it's not the fact that you need a high speed internet. It's that you want to be treated in a certain way during the process. It's maybe I can be I can be adding value components that together will allow you and to give yourself the permission to pay higher rates. And so that whole piece around cravings, markets, pricing distribution on a personalized basis were kind of like avenues that we explored in marketing uh that they hadn't done before and it was um we kind of learned as we went i mean the value packaging piece was huge all right because we had to fight off the 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 most people who were looking for ways to add things together and discount price it i said we can't do that we can't do that because the more you reduce price the more the message out there is, we're reducing value because price and value are inextricably related. And so we had lots of fun doing that kind of stuff. But you know, I guess the bottom line for me is we we tried a lot of little things. Okay. There was no silver bullet in this how, journey.
0: How about the very top of the funnel? Uh, what, did you guys run advertising? Like, how did you get people even to know about your products and services to begin with?
1: Well see, don't forget, we actually came out of a of a voice world in a communications company. So we had a base of customers who were used to voice services. What I mean by that is basic distance service or basic, you know, local telephone services, buying tele... all that kind of stuff. So we had a base, okay, who were loyal to us if for no other reason than we were a monopoly. And and the the, the challenge we had is how do we take that base? into a data internet world where there's just like a plethora of competitors just chomping at us. And so, you know, the cultural shift requirements were basically where we had to focus on. So it wasn't like we had to go after, you know, brand new customers. We had them, we had to keep them and grow them, which which introduced notions like, for me, it wasn't about market share, it was about customer share. It said, for you, I'm now getting $100 a month from you because you consume voice-related services. I now now want to get you to $500 a month, okay, using now because I'm going to take you into the future-friendly world of data and internet. So that was kind of like the strategy. It wasn't so much, let's go add 100,000 new new clients. We had them, okay, but they were consuming the wrong things. I needed them to stay loyal. And start as a result of that, through everything that we've been discussing so far, get them to buy more That's by great. providing more value to them. So that was the sort of um, that was the sort of situation we found ourselves in.
0: One thing I'll just share with the audience briefly is you might be thinking to yourself, you know, I don't have a big base of customers. Like, how do I even get those leads to begin with? And I'll give you one little tip that we found is simply running Facebook lead ads. A great way to generate a lot of leads, but what I hear from a lot of businesses is that the leads are no not very good quality. Like, how do I actually deal? Like, actually get sales out of these leads? And that's where all of Roy's tips here can go into play. Actually building up a great response, building those relationships, connecting authentically will actually help you turn those leads into real sales. Roy, as you look back with your years of experience and getting to that billion dollars in sales, were there any? surprises things you didn't uh know about that just hit you that were interesting
1: well from a from an employee point of view um the the notion of 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 releasing um latent power in people uh, to have them go with you on the journey that you want uh, i had underestimated okay and what i discovered was When people, when you can relate to people and get them excited, okay? And excitement comes from the right side of the brain, not an understanding. A lot of people that understand the strategy, but they don't do anything to execute it, right? So action and execution comes from excitement and exciting them. I underestimated that. And when I discovered how powerful it was, I just poured the coals onto it. And it shaped my leadership style. It Mm. shaped me into being a leadership a leader by serving around. It shaped me into being a leader that that provided direct line of sight between people and the journey. It, it, it allowed me to come up with crazy notions like hiring for goosebumps, like killing dumb rules, like cutting the crap in the organization to do what I called improve the viscosity of the machine, right? All of those activities were driven by the fact that once people got onto the simplicity and the excitement of doing it, the power of the machine just went like this. Okay, so it wasn't a matter of tops down. It was it was discovering, you know, and on an individual level, what lit them up. And you, I underestimated that.
0: How did you get people to that point? Because I think a lot of us understand that that's important. But what are the actual tangible steps you got people to that heartfelt excitement level?
1: Well, first of all, you have to know sort of where you're going. You have to have a strategic agenda in your head before you talk to people. It's not a matter of just having a conversation. It's a matter of Mike, Roy and Mike having a conversation and me trying to figure out, okay, the problems that that you've got, that if I can deal with those will allow you to execute, execute the strategy better. Okay. So that's the agenda and there's no substitute um, for actually having a conversation. I came up with you know this notion called bear pit sessions. I would have bear pit sessions all the time. What a, what's a bear pit? <laughs> it's it's a meeting right with cross functional people, and it could be your entire organization if you're small, or it can be people in a particular department if you happen to be large. And basically, the the purpose for the bear pit was for me to say, hey, how's the execution going? How can I help? All it was, and I went in with no entourage. I was raw naked in front of these people in terms of, hey, tell me what's going on. And I had to earn right, the right to come back. And it, it worked so well, people were, were calling me saying, hey, when's your next bear pit? I want to be part of the bear pit because you know that's where we're getting things done. And so that's what you have to do. You have to talk to people. Okay, yeah, I understand that we got electronics and we got new ways of communicating, but let me tell you, there's nothing that lights a fire in in somebody's heart than having a conversation with a leader who actually believes and understands in, in their journey and, and really takes with them the position that says, I'm here to convince you that this is a cool place to go. Will you come with me, please? Will you come? Just make yourself expose yourself. Uh, that's the thing. You have to do that.
0: Well, Roy, this has been fantastic. How can people find and learn more about you if they're curious to learn more of what you have to
1: say? Sure, I've got a website called bedifferentorbedead.com. And so join me there, come and visit me. And there's a number of pages there. I've I've been blogging on this stuff since 2009. Okay, so for me, for a lot of people, interestingly, it's new, which tells me I really haven't been doing a good job spreading my word, quite frankly. So I've got, I blog practically every week. So there's a lot of content on my website. Go check it out. Uh, A couple pages on the books that I've written. I've written seven books around the whole notion of being, being different and being, or being dead. So there's that there. Plus I've got a, I've got an email. It's roy.osing at gmail.com. And I'm really happy to communicate with people on a one-on-one basis. And it's really kind of neat now because I do get emails from people saying, hey, Roy, I've, here's my draft only statement. What do you think? Hey, that's magic, man. That's, that gets my juices going every day. So, you know, take advantage of me. Talk to me. I'm here to help.
0: Oh, I love that, Roy. Not many guests will actually offer up their individual email. So take Roy up on that and connect with them and he'd be happy to help and support. Well, Roy, thank you so much today for sharing your insight. This has been a blast.
1: You're very welcome, and I'm honored to have you ask me to get in front of your audience, believe me. It's my pleasure.
0: Thanks.